Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Uncommon Comedy Podcast. I am your host, Brian April. Uh, as usual, all of our podcasts are available to be listened to on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on Spotify. Or if you'd like to see the video versions, you can check us out on Facebook and or YouTube. Uh, also, if you have any questions or comments regarding the episode or what things you'd like to see, feel free to just throw them in the uh, comments below. Or you can reach out to me uh, on social media. I am at uh, youtube.com slash comedy Brian. You can also find me on facebook.com slash comedy Brian. And if you want to interact live with me, I live stream three times a week uh, live on Twitch. So that's a great way to interact. You can follow me on twitch.tv slash comedy Brian. Uh, so we are going to get rolling right into this. Uh, our comedian today, a uh, very, very funny comedian. Uh, I met him here in San Diego. I've known him for several years now. We've done tons of shows together. He performs uh, all over the country. He's got a dry bar special. He's been on, uh, you know, uh, laughs on Fox. He's been on just about, you know, everything he can. He's uh, one of the really, really nice guys in comedy, one of the great uh, working comedians today. So I think you guys are going to like him. You're going to get a lot out of it. Please welcome to the stream, Jesse Egan. Jesse. Hey, hey. thanks for having me. Oh, uh, my pleasure, man. Thanks for, thanks for uh, coming on. Yeah, um, one of the things that uh, I always start off by talking about what uh, what I like about the the person's um, act, and one of the things that I really love about your act is uh, you're you're very comfortable on stage. You have a lot of great wordplay uh, in your act, and um, you just you have certain bits that you just go, "Man, I wish I wrote that." You know, that's, oh, that, wow. I think that's one of my I think Thank the best compliments you. you can give to somebody. It really is. is. That is a, a wonderful compliment to get. I, I've I felt that way before about you and other comics where I go, wow, I wish I could have written that. And so it's <laughs> nice to hear that other people feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, you, you have a, a really a commanding, uh, personality on stage and you just have this great presence. And even though you're not, you know, overly physical, uh, mm. you, you bring a lot of energy to your performance. So it's one of the things that I, I really enjoy watching you, uh, oh, do thank work, you. So. Oh, I pleasure. can't wait to be able to go back to it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, have you tried any of the um, the, the stand up and the the, the drivings and? You know, I, I'll be honest, I I have not um, for a couple of reasons, but yeah, I haven't done any of the outdoor comedy or the drive up stuff yet. Um, I may, you know, may have to do that <laughs> soon and. <laughs> uh, Felt so out of practice for a while here, and then I did a little roast of um, of a friend recently on Zoom. So I wrote a whole bunch of roast things, and that was my first foray back into performing comedy. Um, and it was interesting doing it remotely over a Zoom, and I could hear some of the laughs, which helped. I could I would imagine that doing a show where you can't hear the laughter or connect with the audience would be very challenging have you have you done much of that so far i i have avoided them uh, uh, pretty much at all costs um just because <laughs> of what you said it's just they i've seen a couple and they they don't i, I mean they they go better than expected but some places will mute all the audience and so you get zero laughter and if they don't then you get maybe one or two people's laughter <laughs> they mute the, the audio audience? Yeah, the audio, like, yeah, the audio will, like, cut out over each other, too. But, yeah, the, some places will mute the audience. Weird. So you just see this, which. Yeah, so that at, doesn't at do the, much. Yeah, at the best, it's, like, this terrible open mic for two people. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know? But, yeah. um, you know, I, I have no no desire to, to, to do that. Although I am slowly starting to break down because it's been yeah. so long. You know, you start going, well, 
maybe if there's a way where we can, you know, what I'd like to do is figure out a way to have those people all connected to like a soundboard. And if I could run all of their, their individual uh, lines in and then blend that into one. So you get that audio yeah. sound, then I would totally be, I'd be like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I imagine like the comics that do a lot of crowd work, really struggling <laughs> to do zoom shows, you know, trying to find someone in that little square going like, yeah. you, you got a dumb looking shirt or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> How do you how do you pull off actual stand up in this uh, format? But yeah, it's a challenge, and we got to figure out how to do it. Right. Well, I think there's you know there are other aspects to it, like uh, doing the podcast and in doing those sort of shows. I do some live stream stuff, um, yeah. so I'm learning to play to the camera more and you know just deliver to the camera as if it's an audience. So I mean, mm -hmm. from that aspect, it's a, another set of skills that you know learning and uh, you know similar to you when you were hosting um, was it tonight in San Diego? Yeah, or? that's true. It was really uh, learning new skills, like you say. So that's a good way to approach it is uh, that we now can expand our toolbox a little bit uh, out of necessity and hopefully uh, you know adjust to this. Yeah, that's the, that's the hope. So uh, let's uh, let's get into a little bit of your career. Um, who or what inspired you to start doing uh, stand up? Well, I I started stand up uh, officially in 2006 at Winston's. Um, I had actually gone to a couple little like workshops for stand up before that. A couple years before that, there was. Um, some i think it was at twigs but i can't remember because it's so long ago but i did stand up twice in in uh like a bar in claremont and the second time it went so badly that i quit for for a couple of years um so i really only did it twice way way back um maybe i don't know what year but but then i really came to winston's i was managing the bar and they had a we we had started a poetry night and it was a drunk poet society on Mondays and a couple of the local guys uh, who were sort of cast offs from the comedy store La Jolla uh, came around and started like trying to tell jokes during poetry. And uh, the woman that was running the poetry uh, show, Ola, came to me afterwards and said, you know, maybe we should have a designated comedy night because uh, the comics hate the poets and the poets hate the comics. <laughs> and um, <laughs> And the only crossover there was this guy, Sacrilegious Dave, this this guy, Dave Sparling, who became a fixture at Winston's Ocean Beach Comedy. And he started as as a poet. And I think he always stayed a poet. But uh, but he but he brought a, a different sensibility to to stand up. And that's really how we started was we had a show at Winston's um, because we didn't want it interfering <laughs> with the poets. And. At that time, there was very little stand-up. I mean, in San Diego, I think there was probably the La Jolla Comedy Store and maybe the Comedy Co-op, if you remember that place. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, there was very little. So there, weren't, there were not a lot of comics that we knew. And we just had a couple local guys, myself and Bob Hansen, Steve Kendrick, and uh, Andrew Deans. And it, sometimes we had to do the whole show, just the three or four of us together. Um, but the way, it really, the way I really started back with stand-up was we did something that, that nowadays is called a fun mug. We would take audience ideas and put them in a hat and pull them out on stage live, and the comic would see it for the first time, read this little note that the audience would write, and then try to riff some jokes off of it. And I was hosting that. I wasn't even a, a performer. I was just hosting and facilitating it. And 
I started to write my own joke ideas because some of the ideas from the audience, I just didn't think were that funny. It would just pull it out and it would say broccoli or something. And you go, eh, I got nothing. So I started writing my own joke ideas and I'd be hosting and the comic would pull this idea out of the hat. And if, and then they would butcher it in my opinion, they'd, you know, they go, this is, I'd say, this was not funny. That was my joke. I mean, right. of course, they'd be like, who's the idiot that came up with this idea? And it'd be me, right? So right. I, I was like, I can do this. Uh, so that's kind of when I started was being inspired by other people butchering my joke ideas. <laughs> I've, I've heard from many people before that the reason they started comedy was they saw someone really stinking it up on stage and they thought, that looks easy. I could do that. Yeah. Um, and I've heard both things. I've heard people were inspired by seeing great comedy and thinking, I, I wish I could do that, or seeing bad comedy and saying, anybody could do that, and I can do that. Um, so it was kind of a mixture of those things that got me started. That's funny. Were there any um, stand-ups that uh, you looked up to when, when you were growing up, or you know, were you into stand-up before that? Or Yeah, I think they've all been disgraced. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think... Uh, yeah, I think all the comics. No, I, not all of them. I think Dave Chappelle is still uh, still good to go. Um, you know, when I first heard stand up comedy, I think it was the Mel Brooks uh, Reiner tape from my grandparents. That was like the two thousand year old man. Okay, and that was the first like, and it's kind of more of a sketch, but it was really the first kind of comedy that and and uh, Bill Cosby. Uh, records from my parents and and those are like the first that's like my first taste of of stand-up and uh and then later i was like on a road trip uh with my best friend anthony at the time and um we were going all around the country and we picked up these tapes in gas stations and one of them was one side was richard pryor and the other was red fox oh, and wow. I remember we just wore that tape out on the drive and uh uh that was one of those things that made me realize well you could really do comedy so many different ways and and it really opened up my whole world of like wow the, there's so much variety to this you know yeah it's it's amazing there, there's definitely i think a type and room for everybody people go oh you know you, you can't do this or you can't do that and i say there's, there's i think there's a, a style and, and room and an audience for everybody so yeah and, and it just kind of shows that the you know just looking at all the things you know there are certain people that are obviously very famous, but some people go, oh, I don't like guitar acts or I don't like, you know, yeah. pop act, or I don't like, you know, impressionist or, or whatever it is. And it's like, well, then don't watch, you know, and that's fine. right. Yeah. There's <laughs> a million know? flavors of it. And that's the kind of, that's kind of the great thing about stand up is, uh, you know, people, a lot of comics when we're in this, we think we're in competition with each other. But um, I had a comic tell me once that everyone has their own lane that they carve out and that, you, you know, you really should only compete against yourself and try to you know make yourself laugh and make yourself you know improve every every time you perform and not worry and fixate so much what uh, anyone else is doing because it's really not related to your own journey and your own path i've found that that helps keep you happier when you don't <laughs> think about other people's journey and you don't focus on what they're doing so much um because it, it just it just makes you upset you know i think that's part of social media mm -hmm. the function of social media is kind of like "Ooh, look at me i'm so happy here i am in look i've got the backdrop i'm in rome <laughs> i'm yeah. here in Campo de Fiore. you know and, and you don't know what happens behind the scenes if people are miserable or lonely or whatever and so i think you know 
believing in social media and, and thinking, oh, look how happy they are. Look how unhappy I am. It's a it's a really uh, negative thing overall. So in, in general, and I think Facebook has changed, but gen generally I feel like it's just a wasteland of negativity. And when I go on there, I try to only post things that I think bring a little bit of positivity or, or light because everybody's got the rest of it covered, you know? Right. Well, and that's the thing too. There's, there's two aspects. Like one, I would love to see someone live stream like a fight with their teenage daughter who screams, I hate you in the back, you know, like no one's ever doing that. You know, that would be, that would be really fun to, to watch and just kind of comment on that, you know, like this, and, you know, like, I think that would be really fun. And I, you know, I think unfortunately though, for, for us as comedians, that uh, social media is the, the currency in which we're judged. You yeah. Know, not so much. How funny are you? Are you a nice guy? Are you professional? It's how many followers do you have? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And that is something that I found when I got to go on the road a little bit with uh, with Vicky was that there was acts being booked in clubs that really weren't stand up comedians, but they mm -hmm. were sort of personalities that had become popular um, or famous. And uh, I just wonder what their act would be like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I've seen a few. You're, uh, you're, uh, for people who don't know, you're talking about Vicky Barbalak from uh, America's Got Talent, who's uh, another uh, wonderful San Diego comedian. Really great um, person and the headliner that uh, uh, brings me on the road uh, sometimes to feature. So how do you uh, how do you how do you like doing that? Going on the road? Well, I mean, obviously now we're not doing much of that. Yeah, uh, how was that, that experience I, for you? Well, it was great because it was with Vicky and a lot of times with her husband Lou, who's a really good friend, and uh, I kind of consider them to be my mentors in comedy and uh lou brockman is the guy that brings everyone up at the comedy store on the on the piano he introduces us and he's just seen every comic in the world and yeah. you know in between acts or shows you know he would offer some really great advice on stand-up and although he's not really a stand-up uh, comic although he's helped write um he's seen it all and he knows it really well and he knows what's funny and what works and what doesn't and i have gotten some great guidance from him so being on the road with them was wonderful they would often bring their little dog jimmy and uh just be like a little family of of really good friends and so i think that experience was uh wonderful and probably unique as as far as what i've done before and traveling or seen from other tours, you know, it can be very lonely. And mm -hmm. if you don't really hang out with each other, then you're just kind of alone in the, in the hotel room or trying to explore these towns by yourself. So it really made a big difference to be with, with people you love, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a, a lot of people, you know, don't necessarily think about that. It's like you're in front of 400 people having a great time and then 20 minutes later you're alone in your hotel room going now what and that's the majority of the time i mean you you spend it traveling and and lonely for 99% of the time and then you're on stage for you know this brief moment to really enjoy it um but you know finding a way to enjoy the rest of it is key and not to be uh you know miserable and bored and i think i, I you know you see that a lot from comics um depression you know i think mm -hmm. depression and unhappiness is really rampant in stand-up uh, i think uh, for a mixture of reasons one because i think comics are constantly analyzing the world they live in you know critically and sort of realizing um these truths that are not always pleasant you know 
right. then commenting on, on them and, and then making and then trying to make them funny, which is a real challenge. And when you can't do it, it's a little it's a little depressing, too, you know, um, right. But traveling, I got pretty burnt out on, you know, every week flying to Las Vegas to do this Tuesday night show and coming back the very next day. You know, a lot of these overnights and then some of these uh, weekend trips. And I don't want to sound like that guy that's like, oh, you had to go to Vegas. But, you know, honestly, when it's mostly traveling for, you know, not a lot of money, obviously, as a feature. Right. But you do it because it's a great experience and it's fun. Um at first, I was really happy to get to be home and be with my girlfriend, and we got into a real domestic um, sort of pattern here, and I've I've really enjoyed it. I, I didn't really miss going on the road so much. I know that's blasphemy to say it, but no, uh, not at all. That's not just the truth. truth. Yeah. I haven't missed I haven't missed it at all. Yeah, I really haven't. It's been a nice uh, pause to the grind of comedy. Well, yeah, and the other thing too is you say like Vegas, and everyone goes, "Oh, Vegas," but you're not going there to enjoy Vegas. Right. You're not going there to, to, to gamble and go out to the clubs and to do all that sort of stuff. It's a business trip. You're there. Right. To go and if you did do that, A, you would lose all the money that you did make, which is very little again. And right. then, you know, B, you really can't function. I mean, I, I, I've had other comics tell me that. I remember Joey Diaz mentioning once a long time ago, and people will probably think this is a weird thing coming from him, but he had mentioned that like to everybody else, it's like this big party. <clears throat> But to you, it's a job and you're not there to party. You're there to do a professional job and go out on that stage and do your best. And then afterwards, you could you could let loose a little bit with with the crowd. But you you can't be fooled into thinking, oh, I'm on that same wavelength of like, let's get, you know, in this party mode um, before or, you know, it just doesn't work. So, yeah, you're right. You're not going to Vegas to just get wasted or something because if you did, you really wouldn't be able to function. You know? Yeah, you're, you're not going. I'm going to take my whole week's check and put it down on black. You know, you're not going to do that, right? Uh, so, so yeah, whenever I go, whenever I would perform at a casino, I wouldn't gamble at all, not not one cent, because I would just. Yeah. You know, it's hard because you're there for you know, depending on on the, the week, it could be you know a, a Monday through you know Sunday, it could be a, you know Tuesday through Saturday, it could be whatever, and so it gets hard. You have to make sure you know to have that focus and be able to stay in a hotel room or get out and explore or you know the town like you said yeah and it's, it's a you know people don't realize that you know even even though you have a girlfriend she doesn't necessarily always go with you all the time or you know i'm married she, my wife doesn't go with me all the time right so, almost never you know yeah so it's a lot of eating on you know, by yourself on the road and going to restaurants by yourself and going to events by yourself and so there's a lot of you know right uh, there's a lot of solitude uh in that that you have to try to work through it's I noticed that comics that are kind of like only children seem to do better with this lifestyle. Yeah. Um, or or like like my buddy Zoltan, he seems to be very comfortable by himself. Like he does a podcast generally by himself. He's on the road a lot alone. And I think he just has a, a younger brother who's much younger than him. So he was almost like a, an only child growing up. So he was used to being alone. You know, I grew up with a brother who was just a couple years younger than me and we were we were like this, you know? Um, yeah. So I've never really gotten used to that, that solitude of that, of that lifestyle. Hmm. Well, let's, uh, uh, let's go back in, into your career a little bit, but the, I mean, that's all really good, uh, good points. Um, do you remember your first show? Yeah, I do. I mean, I remember these two shows that I did at Poppy's in Claremont and the, the very first one, 
I had invited all of my friends, as as we all do, uh, <laughs> as you know, I'm gonna be a comedian, yeah. and um, it's you know, it's so weird. It's like, imagine you try something for the very first time. Like, I'm gonna try to ride a bicycle for the first time, but I'm gonna invite every friend I know to witness this act. Yeah, that's not smart, right? So, no, not at I, all. And and this this is odd because the first uh, the first set I think went fairly well, and I invited them all to come back. I said, "Oh, I'm, this went great. I'm going to come back do this again next week." You know, so I invited everyone to come back the next week, and I had friends that said, "Well, you're not going to do those same jokes again, are you?" And uh, I didn't have any other jokes. That's all I got was those right. ten jokes or whatever I did for five minutes. So I tried to write a whole new set within a day or two. And that second set was Bomb City, one of the worst <laughs> experiences of my life, really, because um, everything went awry that that night. And it went so badly that I never did stand up again for for a couple of years. Um, wow. You know, the full the full story was I drank too much, you know, which is another thing that I've learned over the years of stand up is that you could have one drink before you go on to loosen up the nerves. But if you have six rumplements or something right before you go on stage, mm, that ain't going to go well. So that <laughs> combined with my horrible material, which was all like based on growing up in the eighties was like, remember Knight Rider and the A team. And they're like, no. And I was like, no, okay. And I mean, I bombed so bad. And then went into the, the bar where they, there was like pool tables and I got in a fight with someone. Apparently I got thrown out of there. My friend tried to give me a ride home. I jumped out of his truck on the freeway apparently and climbed over a fence and I got lost and my shoes got ruined. And then I got in a car and I asked these guys, would they take me to ocean beach? And they took me to ocean side. And then I get on the payphone at ocean side and I'm calling my friend who, who I thought, you know, left me. I jumped out of his truck. Right. And I'm calling him like, you, you know, I'm cursing at him on the phone <laughs> and stuff. And, Oh, I had to apologize. And then the, I had to go back to that bar the next day and get my keys and my wallet. My ID was left. I mean, it was so embarrassing. And I couldn't face the stage again or those the audience again or or anything. And and uh, so the first set went great. The second set was a tragic disaster that was so horrifying that I'm surprised I ever went back to stand up after that. I mean, I literally quit for at least two years, maybe longer. And I had only wow. performed twice. So I quit until 2006, basically, when I started again at Winston's, you know. What um, what made you get back on that horse? I just think that I always loved comedy. I always loved making people laugh. I remember when I was maybe 13 or something, and um, my family had gone down to Florida to visit grandparents and uh they had a clubhouse at, at this place and in the clubhouse there's like a ping pong table and they had this giant book like the size of an encyclopedia called the laws of table tennis and i thought it was so hilarious you know the, the old people at these um these places and these clubhouses are very serious about the rules and all the <laughs> everything but i thought it was so funny that it was called the laws of table tennis and i remember reading these laws to my parents and my younger brother as we were trying to play ping pong and by the end they're rolling on the ground laughing and to me that was still 
the best set I ever had was when I was just a little kid and I made my mom laugh so she couldn't breathe. And I just think that was that moment where I thought, I, I really love, I love this. I love this feeling yeah. of making other people feel so much joy. And then it reflects back onto yourself. You feel that same joy. It's like, you're really happy in that moment and they're really happy. And that's such a gift. Um, and I, I would say it's a gift to yourself. You know, it's people always say, Oh, comedy is this thing we do for no, We're doing it for ourselves. You know, <laughs> where it is a selfish act in, in a lot of mm-hmm. ways of like, we're trying to make ourselves happy, but the byproduct is, you know, making a lot of people happy. And, uh, I think I got addicted to it that, that day and could never really leave it alone for too long. You know? Yeah. And it's hard to explain to somebody in words, what that the feeling is like of being able to just being up there and like, I remember I was on stage and I, I realized I just had a thought of like, wow, everybody is listening to every word that I say. Yeah. You know, and that was like in the middle of my set and I was like, and they're laughing at things I'm saying. And then, you know, you start thinking about all the psychology and the things we do to kind of manipulate people and, you know, do the puppet master type of stuff. And <laughs> it's so, it's, it's weird that, uh, you know, people who aren't comedians, just don't it's it's hard to sometimes explain what what's going on in your brain uh throughout those times yeah i I think some of it too is like overcoming fear you know when they always talk about public speaking being the number one fear of human beings right and i i always tell people i'm i'm afraid every time i go up there i'm nervous before i go up that's never gone away i mean when i get my first laugh i get that first little sense of euphoria and that that joy comes back but until that moment i'm thinking why am i doing this i'm standing in the wings about to go on kicking myself going i can't believe i'm going to do this i i am terrified of it every time and i think there's something in overcoming that fear and then the opposite side of it the the joy of it the euphoria it, it's such a it's such a roller coaster of emotion mm-hmm. that it's a it's very addictive you know and and i do think that the high that you feel from accomplishing it from making all these people laugh and overcoming that public speaking fear is a is a is a euphoria that really can't be matched with anything else you know there's no other there's no other um feeling that i that i've found that can replace that happiness that comes from you know performing well and making people laugh yeah, it's. I mean, I've tried with pizza, and uh, that, it's not, and I still try. You know, it's like trying that joke that doesn't work. I still try, but uh, no, it's 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 been uh, it's pizza's close. I, I will say it pizza's is. Close. It, it is close. But I I tried to shift my focus and from like a, a fear when people say do you still get nervous? I say I get more excited. Mm. You know, uh, like oh, I'm excited I get to do this. Oh, I hope that you know they enjoy it because. You, you know, you're you're yeah. obviously at a point where you know you're funny, you know you have jokes that work pretty much everywhere, anytime, any crowd. So you kind of have that in your back pocket of like, okay, I know I can do this. But there's still that excitement of like, oh, I'm trying this new joke tonight or I'm trying this tonight and I want to see how that works. Yeah, um, I feel like every time I've gotten even a tad bit cocky of thinking this is going to go great, <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> when I get knocked down real hard. And, yeah. and it's just reminded me over the years to never – never get complacent you know to, oh, no. I, I think that fear will never go away from me now because every time I, I haven't had it is when it goes really badly so. yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying to be to be cocky, but just uh, you know. No, no, I know, I know. Yeah, but I, then, I know what you mean. And and Vicky said the same thing. She's like, "Why are you pacing around? You're going to be great. You've done great on every show. What are you worried about?" Which is not true. I've bombed. Um, but she's trying to be encouraging, you know. Right. Well, you know, yeah, she's even like, said, "I love bombing." To me, one time, which I'm like, "No, you don't. You're oh, just no, trying to make no. me feel better." Yeah, no, no, <laughs> nobody loves bombing. <laughs> nobody loves bombing. We like watching other people bomb, but we don't sometimes, love bombing. Yes, yes. Yeah. Sometimes I, I do when, especially like if it's a tough crowd, and I bombed, and uh, I, or or I haven't gone on yet, but I'm like watching everybody. Like if I'm watching everybody yeah. bomb it's pretty nerve wracking, but if I've right. already gone on and bombed, yep. then, then there is a sense, there's some sense of like, whew, I, it wasn't just me. The crowd's yeah. horrible. Everyone's yeah. bombed. You know? <laughs> well, uh, uh, our friend, uh, Mateen Atrishi, he's, he's got a great thing. He goes, when you're watching other comics before you bomb and bomb and bomb, he goes, it's like, you know, having your, your older brother getting spanked by your dad, knowing you're next. Oh man. It's like, Oh yeah, that's totally true. That's so true. And I think that there's this um, like weird sense of animosity that builds up too with all of the comics that are watching that occur. You know, as we're waiting to go on, we're thinking, I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them. Yep. And now we're in this uh, sort of mind state of like it's us versus them. Yeah. And it's adversarial. And I've always found when I go up there with that attitude of like, I'm going to beat them, I'm going to win. That that is the wrong attitude. That if I could just have a sense of like we're gonna enjoy this together, like you said, I get this opportunity to do this wonderful thing. Um, I'm gonna make friends with these people. We're gonna be on the same page instead of like me attacking them from up right. here and them. You know, I, I think that's the problem. Is that dynamic of thinking like I'm gonna beat them. I'm gonna get them. You know, instead of but I can't I can't get that out of my mind. I don't know why. I always find it funny too when when it's somebody who you know is good. That's you know you like. So if you're up there and I know that you're good and you you rock it and you get standing ovations and all these things, and then for one reason or another they're just not with you and you watch that person bomb and you just see like the wheels because we know what's going on in our minds when we're up there, and you yeah. see their wheels just spinning like what am I do what is going on and you just see the like the brain melt down a little bit on stage. That's when it's always really funny. Uh, because we've all been there. We've all been there where you're like, no, why, why is this not working? This is, yeah. this should be, this should be good. <laughs> yeah. And then you say things like, uh, I, you know, I'll say like, Hey, these are jokes, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. My friend, Joe Charles used to say the funniest thing. If he did a couple of jokes in a row that didn't hit, I mean, cause all of his stuff, I thought was a, I mean, he was hilarious. Right. But if he had a couple jokes in a row that didn't hit, he would just stop and look at the audience and go, you know, I'm not that impressed with you either. <laughs> and that always. <laughs> just always so uh, I guess while we're talking about it, what was the worst show you've ever had? Oh man. There's so many um, <laughs> bad ones. Um, but I think the worst one stands out to me when, um, and I hate bringing it up again. He's going to feel attacked, but it's not his fault. My buddy Brandon Young and I, um, a few years back, went on a little like church tour of um, of Michigan, and it was supposed to be him and Dustin Nickerson. 
but Dustin had pulled out and I'm not traditionally like, um, like a, a church comic, but I generally work clean and I love doing those shows. So he invited me to go and I went with him and we did a number of uh, small church shows that were pretty tough, but the, the really tough one, which I think has to go down as, as my worst show was, um, we did a, a Saturday afternoon show at a school and it was supposed to be like a fundraiser to raise, uh, awareness for kids to eat healthy snacks. And, <laughs> <laughs> and for those, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, you can say it. We were, they booked two obese comedians <laughs> to discuss healthy eating lifestyles. I, thought, I, I said to Brandon, I said, well, we should just go up there and go, here's what not to do, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm fueled by Cheetos or something. I mean, but so we were at a school performing in an auditorium. And I said, well, is it going to be for kids? And he said, no, no, it's for the adults. There's no kids. He was wrong. There was like 20 kids with only like six adults. So mm -hmm. we're talking an audience of 26 people. But guess how big the room was? Um, 700 person auditorium with 26 oh, people. Oh, no. At like <laughs> noon on a Saturday. And... You know, Brandon bombed for half an hour, then I bombed for half an hour, and then we had to stand in the lobby while these parents would walk by and pat us on the shoulder and go, don't quit, or maybe do, I don't know, good luck, bye, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then they paid us like $12, and I just remember thinking like, I've bombed, and, and it's been horrible before, but I've never flown to Michigan to do it, you know? Right. And so that was where it was just sort of all around the worst, was like losing money, flying there being demoralized and 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 there was no win like you couldn't get any of the material to hit because there was only six people adults that were babysitting their 20 kids who ended up running around the aisles within the first three minutes of Brandon's set so it was an hour of talking to no one um oh. so, anyway. so for 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 people who aren't comedians explain why 26 people in a 700 seat <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, people would be great in like a small New York room and like the size of you know your bedroom kind of thing. Uh, a tiny room, like if we go to Twigs and we perform and there's 26 people, probably have a great set because the, the laughs are amplified in that small room. The ceiling is low, but if you're in an auditorium with this giant ceiling and this huge vast space, I mean, there's no laughter. The 26 people, even if they had laughed hysterically, it would have just gone up into the ether and disappeared and you wouldn't hear anything. So, yeah, you bomb way harder the bigger the room and the less the people. I mean, it's just and it's a it's a kind of bombing that is hard to even explain. I mean, it's like it's like performing to the void of space. And imagine how that would feel. You know, it's it's a whole nother level of bombing. You know, it's not like bombing at an open mic in front of five, you know, other comics that don't care. It's right. bombing on a magnitude that's like, look at all these empty seats. <laughs> <laughs> One, the people who are here are not the right fit. Two, there's so many empty seats. Yes, so you many know? empty seats. And, like and, nowadays, and, they should fill. They would fill all those seats with cardboard cutouts, like they do at baseball. Exactly. Games. And, and pipe in some laughter and maybe it'd be all right. And you're getting paid. So there's that pressure of like, you know, being professional where if it's an open mic, you're like, all right, well, let me 
try something new or whatever. But yeah. you know, when it's when it's like that, and they expect you to do a half hour, like you still have to try to do the half hour because you can't. Right, and and then in the end, I mean, and you think there's a guarantee, and then we got paid twelve dollars. I think. I mean, it was not even enough money to like you know buy a gun to shoot yourself with. You know, it was. <laughs> it was uh, I, he wanted to celebrate by buying these like banana Twinkies that they sold at Kmart um, that they only had there in Michigan, apparently. And he was going in, you want to come in? I said, no, I'm going to stay in the parking lot and cry. So that was how the end of that set went. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's classic. Bombing is so, it's so hard. Like I said, there's different levels where you just go, when you know, like there are certain times you go, okay, this is tough, but I can, I can work it and I can win this over and, you know, yeah. you do the half hour. And then there are times where you're like, there's nothing I can do. You know, there was really no point. Like, I don't understand why yeah. we wouldn't like, why not just quit like halfway through? Like to me, Brandon getting through his half an hour was the triumph. There was really no reason for me to go up and also bomb for a half an hour to total silence. Um, right. I just wonder why you, why we don't, you know, just say, just forget 10 minutes in, you could just go, well, you guys aren't into this. Let's just call it right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's funny. I, I talk about this a lot on, on this podcast. We never just go, you know what? We, we shouldn't do this. Yeah. You don't like this. I don't like this. Why are we doing this? <laughs> yeah, you know, let's, let's just, let's just call it right now. You know, we'll just call, call it. it. And, uh, Let's just well, call yeah. it, have a few Sunday. drinks, and, and, and make yeah. it. That's it. <laughs> you know? So funny. Yeah. What, is the, uh, what is the weirdest place you've ever performed? Oh, I think the weirdest place was on a bus. I, uh, <laughs> I was doing a charity thing for uh, Salvation Army with Dustin Nickerson, and uh, we had a couple other comics, and Dustin and I wrote like a couple of these like scripts for the comics to use on these buses. We were busing over to the Ray Kroc Center or something. And um, yeah, so I had to stand at the front of the bus while it's driving. And the bus driver kept like hitting the brake really hard. <laughs> and, I, and I would like practically go through the windshield and, and, and then, you know, <laughs> anyway, and, and I'm trying. So I was trying to do stand up on a moving bus. Um, yeah, that was very, that was very odd. That I think odd. it went well though, believe it or not. When we got off the bus as all the other comics were, were looking at us like they wanted to kill us. And I think part of it was that Dustin and I had written most of the script. We thought we were helping them, but mm -hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. no, it, so it was uh, very challenging. That's hysterical. Yeah. Uh, we are uh, talking with uh, Jesse Egan, a uh, uh, funny, funny stand up comedian. Uh, you can follow him uh, on social media at Jesse Egan Comedy. That's J E S S E. Egan, E-G-A-N, comedy. Jesse Egan, comedy on social media. Thanks, uh, he's actually got a Drive Bar special out, too. You can check that out on Drive Bar Comedy. Uh, yes, it's com. called That's the Spirit. So please check it out. That's the Spirit. Make sure you check that out and uh, give it a good old like and thumbs up type of thing. Please um, do. So what was... Um, this is where we're kind of jumping all over the place, but it's yeah. fine, though. I love, uh, what was the, uh, the best piece of advice you received about stand-up? Well, I, I think it was from Lou Brockman from the Comedy Store, and he told me that the closer you are to being yourself, uh, the better. You know, a lot of times we are performing, it's an act, we're um, pretending to be this or that, but he would encourage me to simply amplify my own personality on stage, that 
the crowd responds to honesty and truth and that the more you you put up a barrier between that reality and the audience the the more disconnected you'll be from them and i think it was really good advice because you know as you've seen uh, from vicky barbalak people will go oh my gosh what a you know weird personality what a strange act i wonder what she's like off stage she's exactly yeah that person off stage she's she dresses like that she wears that crazy uh, animal print and the wig and the whole thing all the time not yeah. sometimes so i mean i learned from that example that you know you you are your act you 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 don't want to pretend to be somebody you're not and be stuck with uh I had heard Larry the Cable Guy doesn't really talk like that, isn't that guy, you know, and now he's sort of stuck with that character and that catchphrase forever, um, which, you know, not a bad thing when you're rich, I guess. But yeah. I think I think it was still good advice, though, to be yourself because it's um, making your mark in a, in a way like, you know, if you want to be unique, be yourself because right. you are unique. If you're going to be like everybody else, then you really don't stand out. So. I think that was really good advice. Um, you know, being told not to be afraid to to use your talents. Like, if you can do voices, or you've got um, you've got different abilities that set you apart, to use them. Don't don't always worry about other comics saying that you're not cool or that's hack or you're this or you're that. When they're mostly just jealous that you have an ability that they may have not mastered if you can do something that makes the crowd enjoy it more, you should use all those talents. And I think that's good advice too, that, that, you know, be acting cool and being cool is not our primary goal at all. In fact, the opposite, we want to be uh, the underdog that's vulnerable, that, you know, shows this side that, that everyone has, that everyone can identify with, that people can go, Oh, I'd have a beer with him because it's a regular guy with regular problems and not just this ultra cool hip guy who's got everything going for him. To me, that cockiness and confidence, I mean, confidence is important on stage, but cockiness and sort of arrogance um, to me, unless it's real, if that's who you really are, then do it. But, right. but I think that was good advice, at least for me, which is, you know, be comfortable being yourself. And the closer you are, the more the more you you can be, the better. Yeah, that's I mean that's fantastic uh, advice, and it's so so true. Because like you said, there's how many comics out there? Yeah, and right. Like, you know, what makes you stand out? What makes you connect to people? What makes you different? And that's and I don't know about you, but like for me, when I focused a lot on other comics that I loved. I would end up emulating them, mm -hmm. even subconsciously. I remember when I was first doing stand-up, I had people come up and say, you remind me of Jim Gaffigan. And I had to think about it and go, you know, I have been listening to a lot of Jim Gaffigan. I don't want to sound like Jim Gaffigan. I want to sound like me. And I had to sort of revise that approach. You know, I've, I've yep. seen a lot of comics emulate the cadence and delivery of Dave Chappelle down to the, you know, slapping the leg with the microphone and backing up after every joke. Uh, um, you know, the, the physical, even the physicality yeah. of things that he does. It's like um, once you watch yourself do it and recognize it, you got to go, Oh wait, that's me being someone else and not yeah. myself. Right. So yeah. Like Brian Regan, Dave Chappelle, um, 
even I think the Louis CKs, I mean, they really had a huge influence on open micers and comics in general to, to change the scene where people started to do acts. You see it over and over at open mics. It was like, wow, that was like five Louis CKs in a row. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, do, do we all want to be the greatest? Uh, if we all try to be George Carlin or or Richard Pryor or whoever, then we're all just going to be cookie cutter copies of that thing instead of being unique and and being yourself. And then maybe that'll grow into something great too. Right. But take the the principles that you'd like from George Carlin. You know, of speaking his, you know, the truth, of speaking speaking out against whatever you believe in, and you know. That is totally fine, but the, yeah, because I, I agree. When I started, I was like seven different comics. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I had like little bits of of everybody. You know. Yeah, so, I'm sure that's like so common. You know. Yeah, and and comics will even do other comics acts when they start out and not realize that that's wrong. That you can't tell someone else's <laughs> jokes on stage. Right. I mean, I've seen it before. A guy goes up and starts doing an entire Bill Cosby act, and you go, "What are you talking? What are you doing? That's not." Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I remember one time going on stage wearing a Richard Pryor shirt. And when I got off stage, <laughs> my friend Stephen Kendrick at the time said, hey, man, you never want to wear a shirt with a comic better than you on it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was a good point. It was like, don't wear a picture of someone funnier than you on stage because now everybody's thinking, I just kind of would rather watch Richard Pryor right now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's true. You know, I haven't seen I haven't seen it happen too much. So, uh, but if they do, I'll just give them my shirts and be like, "Here, wear this instead." <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, yeah, I should, for merch, I should just sell Richard Pryor shirts. There you go. I, I like that. <laughs> sell a bunch of them. Um, now, you you uh, I think are a very good writer. I think you uh, have some, you. some great great jokes. And I'm just curious as to to what your writing process is. A lot of times it'll start with a phrase or some turn of phrase, some some idiom or some some little double entendre phrase or some, you know, uh, I, you know, I've got notes in my phone that are just tons of little non sequitur things that don't mean much. Uh, and then sometimes I wake up the next day and look at them and go, I wonder what that was. Right. But that a lot of times that's a jumping off point for me is, you know, I if I sit down at the computer and just try to write, it's like Seinfeld says that little cursor blinking back at me really drives me crazy. But if I go take a walk on the pier or uh, get in the shower and start, you know, thinking about other things or I'm washing dishes, all of a sudden ideas will come to me. I I've mm -hmm. found the inspiration comes more often when you're doing other things, when your body is sort of engaged physically in another activity uh, as opposed to just sitting and writing, if I'm walking and thinking or listening to music and doing something else, ideas start to come. And if I can just quickly record them, I can build on them, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, firstly, sometimes I will rant angrily to my girlfriend about something that's driving me crazy. And she'll go, hey, that's a bit. You need to write that down. <laughs> she, she loves when I get angry and it's not something I do on stage all that much, but that's her favorite thing is my angry rants. Mm -hmm. She always thinks that those are, and I agree that I think those moments of getting emotional and passionate about a subject, that is exactly what we should be talking about. You know? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. That's kind of where I, I uh, people always say that's when I'm my funniest is when I'm like annoyed, you know, yeah. and, and slightly angry because you just get that, that emotion. Yeah. But it's interesting you talk about, you know, taking a shower, going for a walk. Uh, there are studies that show, um, you know, because we're right brain, left, uh, left brain, if you are able to do something that is um, mechanical enough, but mm. you can still do it kind of without thinking, like driving or taking a shower or, mm -hmm. you know, some, some kind of task like that. Driving is a good one, yeah. Yeah, it, it totally um, it keeps that, that part of the brain occupied and then opens up the the right side of the brain or the creative side i think it's the right side uh to to just come out with ideas and play because you're not thinking about okay i have to put these things together or i'm constructing a you know a ikea table or, or mm. anything like that so it's if you can distract yourself just enough uh while doing something safely that you can do you know kind of subconsciously almost like i said like driving you can kind of do yeah. without it's super, interesting super, because those are the yeah. times when it's most difficult to record those jokes. You know, mm -hmm. uh, like I, I have my girlfriend actually put a little notepad on the uh, refrigerator next to where, you know, where I'll be doing the dishes. And the thing was, I was doing dishes. I would say, oh, I got this idea. And it wouldn't always be for comedy. It would be for something else. I said, oh, I got my, you know, and now I got a little thing to write, but my hands are wet and I'm trying to write. And, but that's. I think that's so true that if you're engaged in some other activity, you know, I got great advice from Zoltan once about comedy, which was if you want to generate material, you don't do it in a void of experience. You do it by going out, living life, experiencing things. And that's where the material comes. And I think even in as much as just doing things like you're doing your dishes, all of a sudden ideas and material come. Um, mm -hmm. I think just the idea of being active and, and, and living your life is, and it's something that comics will neglect. You know, we'll sit around alone at home, miserable thinking of jokes if we can, but if we were to get out and go to the park, we might actually come up with more stuff. Yeah. Which explains why I haven't been writing anything because I haven't gone anywhere. So yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. But yeah, it's it's a it's a funny process how how that all kind of happens because some people can just sit down and go, I'm going to write about this, and that's just not me. I'm, I'm much more of an emotional. Yeah. Thing too, if you're emotionally connected to it, if you're emotionally connected to a bit um, and you're passionate about it, you're not going to get tired of saying it a thousand times. Oh, I agree, a hundred percent. It's when you get bored with it that 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 it's just becomes boring to deliver, and the audience is bored with it. I do you know that's comic Eric Myers. Uh, not by name, but I would I, I, I always love bringing him up to people because he uh, he's this comic that rants crazily and angrily about uh, topics that are very mundane. Okay. And to me that uh, that juxtaposition of everyday stupid things to get mad about, I just think it's so funny. Like he has a bit about Taco Bell and he gets so worked up about it. <laughs> and I think it's so funny that he's just like Taco Bell, you know? Yeah. And it's, um, it's one of those lessons I learned just from watching him that it's his passion for it. The emotion that he's bringing to the subject. That's the important part and not the right. subject itself you know not the actual material or subject matter it's sort of the, the how much heart he's poured into it you know right well and then the the technical side of it is you have that juxtaposition which is one of the nine reasons why uh, people laugh 
you know, mm. uh, there, there are nine psychological reasons why people laugh and juxtaposition without giving away too much stuff or whatever. But that's <laughs> one of the reasons people, eh, we could give it all away. People yeah. still have to go out and do it. Uh, I have a comic <laughs> named Dangerous Dick who, uh, when we would, when we would sometimes, I remember early on, uh, he was giving this great advice to this comic and I was listening and afterwards I was like, why are you giving them all our tricks? You know? And he goes, <laughs> and he goes, uh, don't you want comedy to improve? I mean, comedy is a commodity. You don't want people to come to a comedy show and half the people stink. You know, if we're all great, people will come back to see comedy shows. And I just thought, wow, my mind was blown. I thought, yeah. wow, you have got the best approach to be generous with these lessons so that overall comedy improves, that you don't have a show where two comics are great and the rest are, are terrible because we've learned some things from each other. You know, I, I remember doing an open mic at the Laugh Factory the one time I ever did it in, in Hollywood. And I had gone thinking, oh, the the L.A. comics are going to be kind of standoffish and nasty, maybe, or everyone's in a competition. The host of this open mic was so gracious and wonderful at the end of the whole show. First of all, he said, I'm going to try to get as many people up. And that's why I'm doing the least amount of of nonsense in between as possible he's trying to get up as many comics as he humanly could because people had waited since like one in the afternoon to be on mm -hmm. a seven o'clock mic at the at the uh, laugh factory so he really wanted to get everyone up and then after he got up a lot of comics he encouraged us all to uh share each other's uh, to to share our uh contact info with each other and he had this wonderfully profound thing that he said which was we all think we're going to make it on our own, but you get so much farther with a team. And if you guys will link up and share contact info and learn to work together, write together, uh, you will become stronger. And I just thought mm. it was so unexpected and it changed my perception of, of Los Angeles in general. And I just thought that is such good advice. And I, I've always given that to other people, which is like, if you have like-minded friends or you have people that you can bounce ideas off of or work together, it just really helps. You know, at, at Winston's at Ocean Beach Comedy, we had someone booking the comedy. We had like someone, myself, doing the artwork for the posters. We had different people doing different things. Right. And it worked better than if one person had had to do everything, you know? Right. Because we all have strong, you know, strong uh, suits. You know, some people yeah. it's it's the, the actual writing or editing. Some people it's performance. Some people it's the the business side of it. Some people it's the, you know, social media. Like so, I mean, there's there's all different uh, things that we can all learn from. But yeah, I, I agree. So uh, I guess that kind of leads into you know, what other uh, advice would you have for for younger newer comics? Well, I I think I would always give this advice, which is that we're too focused on uh the material at first you know when we're first going into comedy we think we have to write all of this amazing stuff and that it's all done at home in the mirror and da, da, da. and i would tell people like if you have nothing that doesn't matter go up on stage and learn how to connect with the audience the more important thing is learning how to be comfortable on stage and look people in the eye when you talk to them and connect directly with these individuals in the audience and create on stage, write something new, go up there with an idea, work it out, record it, listen to it back later, and then write it down and revise it. You don't have to do all your writing at home, which is what I did for years, and then brought all this long-winded garbage up on stage that did nothing. If I had just gone from, 
I got a sense of this thing. I'm going to try to just do it. You, you, you develop it on stage. You, you deliver it in a much more conversational, natural way when it's not completely memorized perfectly the way you wrote it, which is generally too long. I always write way too long. And then I have to do the Twitter version. You know, you got to condense it down to whatever characters and and make this short and concise. We end up saying too much and simplifying everything down to its its real basic elements that everyone can understand is more important. So I would say material is less important than delivery. Um, material is is incredible when you when you get good at writing material and later you become, you know, have some profound ideas. But I feel like at the beginning, a lot of the time, um, you know, I look at my old material, it's garbage. It's like Paris Hilton, this, and you know, I mean, right. Horrible. Right. But it's not personal. It wasn't, it was all outward observational stuff. I think Brian Simpson is one of the few comics I ever saw early on who I thought this is profound. What he's talking about is profound. What he's saying has meaning it's deep mm -hmm. it's not open mic stuff and i think the first time i saw him at the madhouse i thought this is a special comedian he's really saying something but in general that's not what happens when we're first getting into it um we are not comfortable on stage not comfortable connecting with people and that's the thing that we have to build up and, and learn how to make that connection first absolutely I agree. And just to, to throw that on to uh, just to kind of reinforce what you were saying about, you know, trimming everything down. I always just tell people, I go, what's your point? You know, yeah. just ask yourself that question. What's your point? And that'll get you right into your, that'll streamline your setup and that'll, you know, that'll yeah. streamline your setup and get you right into your punchline. Especially with storytelling, right? Like you hear some yeah. long stories where you go, why did you tell us this? And I always ask people like, can you give us, the premise more clearly can you give us what your point is right away you know can, what is your lesson what's the takeaway from this what did you learn from this and can we get that up top a little bit so that we know we're going into a story for a reason right you know i think that's the hardest thing about stand-up is storytelling i think um you know sometimes you have to contrive a lesson or a, or a meaning to these things because weird coincidental odd things will happen you don't always learn a lesson from them but if you're going to bring it on stage you have to have a point you have to have absolutely. some takeaway, you know? Absolutely. Well, and I, you, you brought up storytelling and uh, I, I haven't brought this up on this podcast in a while. So uh, hopefully the listeners are okay with me bringing it up again. Every time we talk about storytelling, I always recommend uh, Larry Miller, who's a comedian, uh, started out and was really, really, you know, big in the comedy boom in the 80s. And he's still doing it. He's got a bit called uh, The Secret of Skiing, which is 35 minutes long. Wow. And it's, there's a punchline like every 10 seconds. It's Incredible. amazing. And it's just one story about skiing. And it's just. I'll have to listen so, to that. That sounds yeah. amazing. Have you ever heard the Gary Gullman bit uh, called the hierarchy of cookies? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's in that same vein. I mean, it's about 20 minutes long. Yeah. All on one subject. And it's hysterically funny the whole way through yeah um but yeah i mean to be able to do that i just think is so impressive you know yeah it, but it's legitimately 35 minutes long yeah all about that's, this that's one insane. 
The first time I ever saw anyone do something like that was uh, Steve Simone, who did his mm. bit on uh, Willy Wonka, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And he does a 20 minute, it's a 20 minute joke, at least on one subject. And when I saw him do it on TV, you could tell he had to rush. They only gave him like 12 minutes or something. And he's right. going like Robin Williams, like a bat out of hell. He's racing <laughs> through this bit because you know he can't get through it in 12 minutes. But That's so funny. So funny. Yeah. Uh, bef before we switch over to um, the the organization you wanted the spotlight, what is the you you uh, are a, a very nice uh, person on and off stage, and I just kind of wanted to get your um, take on the importance of being nice in this profession. Hmm. Well, I, that's another one I learned from Dangerous Dick, and I always I mentioned him because early on he was so um, instrumental to me, uh, giving me advice in comedy and. He always said that you get all your gigs from other comics, you know, that, you know, if you're a jerk to people on the way up, they're going to remember it. And I don't think that's the reason that I try to be nice to people. I have just I worked in the service industry for 20 plus years, and yeah. I just think killing people with kindness is always better. I think I've learned it from hecklers that if you insult hecklers, it goes worse. If you compliment them or try to uh, go the opposite route, it's better. If you look angry on stage, you can turn the audience off. Mm -hmm. If you, I mean, in the bar business where I worked for 20 years, if you're a door guy working security and some drunk person comes up and is, you know, rude to you, if you, are rude back and you escalate it, that situation turns violent. If you do the opposite, which is project kindness and empathy, generally you get a much better result back. So I just think in life, what you project is what you get back. And on stage, it's 100% the case that if, if I look bored or if I look sad or whatever I'm projecting, I get some of that back from the audience. Mm -hmm. And I think in life, that's you get back a lot of what you put out into the world. And if you put nothing but hatred and cruelty and ru rude, you know, angry behavior out, you notice those people are unhappy, that they're always complaining that things aren't going well for them, that that life is against them, that it's not they're they're unlucky that, you know. Yeah. Everyone and those problems are sown by those seeds of negativity that they planted. You know, yeah. I think that those people that are really miserable are are that way because of their own making. Yeah, absolutely. So. And it, it, comedy is hard enough as it is. <laughs> you know, you don't need sure you need a bunch of jerks around you either. So no, you really don't. So it's, we're all in this kind of boat, you know, we're all in this marathon, uh, against ourselves, but I haven't found kind of that many comics to be real jerks. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think that again, could be that I'm trying to project something kind to outwardly, but I really haven't had, you know, I, I disparaging remarks about LA, which I should never make because I've only had of good experiences generally with with mm. uh, comics because we're all in the same boat i mean i remember dave Chappelle saying you know that that comedian is like its own race and that we we have so much in common just based on being comedians that, mm. that it's that there is a camaraderie and, and a and a brotherhood or sisterhood or whatever among you know comedic performers so why yeah. not be nice to each other 
Yeah. I mean, even in a, a competitive, like I, I uh, started in Boston, which was a very competitive and cutthroat uh, market. But even with that, you can still, you can still try to be nice and yeah, you know, a little bit of kindness. Um, so again, <clears throat> sorry, we are talking with uh, Jesse Egan, a comedian. Uh, very, very funny. You can follow him on all social media platforms at Jesse Egan comedy. Uh, again, check out his drive our comedy special. Um, give Thank that you. a watch and uh, definitely uh, we'll be looking out for Jesse on once this pandemic is yeah. eventually maybe I hope over. It, I hope it's over sometime soon. Yeah. And uh, so we wanted to talk a little bit uh, uh, about an organization that um, you, you had mentioned. And so I just wanted to see if you want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the boys and girls club of uh, America. Yeah. I just wanted to promote that. Um, I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before. Um, you know, to me, a big problem today that we're seeing in both politics and just everyday life and social media in general is a, is a real lack of, of empathy. Um, I just, I get very discouraged by the inability of people to have any compassion for others that maybe are different than themselves. And I think it starts young. I think that it's important to reach out to kids and, and try to teach them that we're not so different, that if we get everyone together, we can learn from each other. And that I think is really the best thing about America is that in this country, we've tried to gather the best from everywhere and create a, hopefully a utopia to be better. Today, I feel like we're really going in the wrong direction with that and trying to, I don't know what we're trying to do, but it's discouraging. And I, I think that it's important to, to focus on the next generation. I mean, I, I think that kids and specifically, I, I say that I would say that I think women are going to have a much bigger part of fixing society and the world than than we have allowed to occur so far. I mean, I'm 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 pointing partially to the fact that the countries that are led by women leaders have done significantly better during this pandemic. I think it would be maybe an overgeneralization to say that women have more empathy and compassion for others, but the men leading the, the, the world have been lacking it in my opinion. Um, especially of late, I just would like to see a sort of a reset. I mm. think you have to start young. I think the boys and girls clubs of America are important for, for that reason, just to give some encouragement to kids, to get them active, to get them participating in the community, to get them interacting with each other, to learn from each other, to be around people of other of other groups than, than themselves to learn from those groups. To me, the, the direction we're moving in, that's a lack that has a lack of empathy and compassion is partly because of the, the way we've entrenched ourselves. Even right now in this pandemic, everyone's sort of hiding inside and doing our own thing, mm -hmm. but sort of psychologically, this idea of let's all hide and build these giant walls up and, 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 to me, that's not progressive. I mean, progressive in the, in, in the true sense of 
evolution, progressing, moving forward, learning and growing and getting better. Again, that's what United States, the United States of America is supposed to be about is improving the conditions for the world and for the people of this country. So yeah, I just, I really, I really believe that we, we are seeing some young people really stepping up these days and saying they can see where we need to make changes to make things better. And mm-hmm. the old guard preventing that um, are really standing in the way of progress. And again, that's just my opinion. And I didn't want to get political or, or be, you know, negative mm-hmm. or nasty to anyone. I would like to be inclusive and just say, I really feel like we have to start caring about each other and, and not being so selfish and uh, worried about just ourselves. Absolutely. And I mean, it's such a, a great organization because it, it, it helps. It's a, a safe environment. It's a, a healthy environment. Um, you know, especially for at-risk youth, it's, a, you know, just a good way to get kids off of streets that, that, that may be, uh, in, in harm's way. And uh, if you want to find out more information or, or donate, you can check out um, the www.bgca.org. That's for the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. And they're a phenomenal organization. I, I you know I used to go when I was a, a kid to, we had uh, one very similar um, where I lived. And so uh, they're, they're wonderful, wonderful programs. And yeah, definitely a worthy, uh, worthy cause to help out. You know, there, there are so many good charities and there was, there's charities. I love animals. I love my cats. I love dogs. And, and I, you know, considered that I remember talking to another comic who said, who I didn't realize loved animals so much. And they said to me, and I said, I didn't know you loved cats so much. And they said, Oh yeah, I love animals. And then he said, humans are garbage, but animals are, I love. And I just thought to myself, that is, that is the problem with this Mm -hmm. mentality, right? If you see a baby, that baby is innocent and good. Don't think of that person as garbage, right? If we started to approach each other and consider each other as babies and as, as just animals that are innocent, like the way we look at other animals, Maybe we would have some more compassion for each other's situation instead of being so, uh, you know, humans are terrible. We're a virus. Uh, you know, self-loathing is is not helpful in this situation. Absolutely you know? not. Yeah. We need to Absolutely. think about all the positive things that humans are capable of and all the good that we're capable of, of doing and then look at each other with that kind of love and compassion that we would for a cat or a dog that that people are so, you know, they're, they're so quick to, to see the good in. We're so quick Mm -hmm. to see an animal as this pure, innocent creature. Human beings are animals too. And we've gotten away from recognizing the innate goodness in each of us, you know, especially, especially in kids, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just like if there's a dog that was, abused that's going to be a little more violent and you 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 know work with it and people understand okay well let me try raising it and loving it a different way when they rescue it right and that's the same with you we're all the same we all have emotions and and backstories and things that have happened to us and um yeah i think think it's a big mistake too to tell people if you don't think exactly the way i think 
we can't be friends. You know, I, I hate seeing it on Facebook. Say, unfriend me now. If you don't, you just unfriend me now. <laughs> I have friends that are on every side of the political spectrum. And even if I disagree with them, I'm not going to tell them we can't be friends because we have a lot of other things that we do have in common that we can still love each other about. So I think dividing each other up into these groups and saying, you're this, you're that. I'm on this team. I'm on that team. You know? Yeah. It's like yeah. we're bloods and crips. We're just going to kill each other over this color. It's, it's, it's crazy. And we're better than that. We can, we can do better than just killing each other over color of skin or, or political affiliation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, again, <clears throat> check out uh, Boys and Girls Clubs of America at uh, bgca.org, uh, a fine organization. And um, again, you can also follow us on Facebook at Uncommon Comedy, Instagram, Uncommon Comedy Tour, and YouTube, Uncommon Comedy Co Podcast. Uh, you can also reach out to me at twitch.tv slash comedybrian. And I want to say thank you to the viewers and the listeners, and especially to, to Jesse uh, Egan for coming in and uh, spending some time with us today and telling us uh, your story and, and uh, sharing uh, your, your, your thoughts and, um, and spotlighting the Boys and Girls Club of America. And, dude, yeah, I hope thanks you Thanks uh, so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I probably drank too much coffee today, but uh, hopefully I didn't talk too much. And, and, Not at uh, all. For you, but it Not was really all. nice to have this chat. It's wonderful to see your face, yeah, hear your voice, to connect again. And uh, I, I really appreciate this, Brian. It was very nice of you to have me on. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. And I look forward to, to seeing you in person soon. Let's talk soon. Absolutely, man.